Hey guys, welcome to a Meaningful Mess podcast. I'm Andy McNair, author, speaker, and passionate educator that believes in the learners that sit in today's classrooms. I hope that this podcast will encourage you to take risks in your classroom and design experiences that will engage and empower today's learners. Thank you for joining me today. Let's get started. On today's episode, we're going to dive deeper into two more of my core beliefs. Every student deserves an opportunity to learn by doing, and every student deserves an opportunity to learn from failure. My guest today is Melissa Pardun, the executive director and co-owner of Maker's Edge. Voted one of Waco's top 20 movers and shakers, Melissa has had her own winding road to get to her current position. With advanced degrees in business, communications, and theology, a makerspace isn't where she planned to land. As an ordained minister, she splits her days between Maker's Edge, hospice chaplaincy, and nonprofit work training professionals and high schoolers about human trafficking through Unbound. She and her high school sweetheart have three children and live in a house that they built with their own hands. I hope that in listening to today's podcast, you'll be able to see how Makerspace can give students opportunities to learn by doing. Melissa shares such great insight and helps us realize the importance of getting out of their way and allowing them to sit in their struggle as they find ways to problem solve and create independently. Hey, Melissa, how are you? I'm great. Thank you, Andy. I am so excited about having you on the podcast because, yeah, so I was driving the other day and I was thinking, so I'm in the process of sharing my core beliefs and My third core belief is that every student deserves an opportunity to learn from failure. And my fourth core belief is that every student deserves an opportunity to learn by doing. Absolutely. And I thought, thought, what better opportunity? I was actually driving down the road and I drove by Maker's Edge and I've known you for a long time. And when I drove by, I thought, oh my gosh, like what better person (laughs) to have on the podcast than Melissa Pardun. So why don't you tell us us a little bit about yourself, what you do and why you do it? Sure. That is a really, really long answer. Um, (laughs) So what I do is I do anything that's required to be done in the moment I'm in. Um, I love that. (laughs) But um, I have several hats. So I I am the co-owner and executive director here of Maker's Edge, which is a cooperative uh, makerspace, a cooperative workspace. And so that is definitely one hat is casting vision and running sort of the big picture of what goes on around here, uh, hiring the right people, making financial decisions, that sort of thing. Um, And then making sure that everybody along the way sticks to the core belief about what we're about. But then also, because I am an ordained minister, I wear the hat of doing hospice chaplaincy. And that's my sort of what you would call my, my day job. And then, um, I also do uh, nonprofit work, so I'm pretty passionate about um, girls who are victimized by sexual abuse, and so I volunteer my time with a local organization called Unbound, which is an anti-sex trafficking organization, and wow. I do training in high schools with them. Wow, that you have a lot on your plate. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even, I didn't even get to, you know, all, half of the other stuff I do at home with family. <laughs> oh my gosh, you're busy. I so, am busy. Tell us, you mentioned the core belief behind Maker's Edge. Tell us a little bit about Maker's Edge, what it is, and that core belief that you alluded to. Sure, sure. So Maker's Edge, like I said, is a cooperative workspace. So basically, everybody pays into the pot, and then everybody has equal access to tools. 
So there's no like tiered level of membership. Once you join in, uh, you get to use the space as much, much as you want and, and use the tools as much as you want. The only caveat to that is we require people to take safety classes because we want to make sure you're not going to be a hazard to yourself or others. And so once you get past the safety class for the tool you want to use, you just have at it and treat it like your own space. And uh, so that's basically what we have. We have a, a wood shop, a metal shop, a computer lab, a digital fabrication area. And then we just started our pottery studio and crafting room. Oh. And yeah, yeah. And so, uh, yeah, that's, that's the physicality of what we do. Our, um, our main drive is, I, I get a little heady sometimes, people tease me all the time because of my theological background, but uh, I am extremely passionate about the concept that every person was created um, with a particularness that they contribute to those around them. But most of us don't have the opportunity to really sort of explore all the different facets of creation that help us get to that particularness. And mm -hmm. especially in the act of doing and touching with our hands. So many, I could go, I could preach on this for hours. So many of <laughs> us have been sort of wooed away from trade jobs and um, working with our hands because we've been told now for 20 years that college is really the answer for everybody. It's a cookie cutter solution. Yes. And here at Makers, uh, here at Maker's Edge, we just do not believe that. There is no tiered level to careers. We all have something to contribute and yours might be professionally, mm -hmm. but another person's might be socially or might be uh, in, in what they can do physically and uh, what they can teach to others. I mean, it's just, uh, we all have something unique. And our philosophy here is if we will just let help you kind of explore all the different things there are to making that you will naturally move more authentically to who you were created to be. Oh, that's very, very cool. I love that whole idea about, um, you know, not everybody was meant to go to college. And so when we're even in, in the school setting, if we are really trying to churn kids out for just that, um, we're doing them a disservice. Oh, absolutely. I was a product. I was graduating in the 80s and 90s. Well, 80s. Oh. Uh, when, uh, <laughs> when we, uh, the huge movement at that time was closing down Votex schools. All across the nation, Votex were closing down because it was considered um, sort of beneath American children to teach them how to do a trade versus prepping them for college. And so there was this mass movement, this exodus from tradesmen. And that's why mm -hmm. we have a huge problem in America with uh, most of our uh, master craftsmen, like our plumbers and our electricians are now, the average age is around 45. It's just, it's uh, getting up there. No offense to those guys who are that age, I can identify. <laughs> I was about to say, I'm right there with them. <laughs> But um, that's not good. That's not good as a nation. That means um, that there is a gap, not just only in uh, the job market, but also a gap for the people who probably that is the best fitting career and most satisfying career that they could choose, but they've mm -hmm. never seen it as an opportunity for themselves. Yeah, I think that's a great point, too. I often say that, you know, so many times kids will go do what they think either their parents want them to do, or sometimes they do what their parents do, not because they're passionate about it and not because they love it, but because they have not been given the opportunity 
to see what else exists. Right? They don't even that's know right. what else is out they, there. That's right. They just don't, they haven't even seen with their eyes. Yep. Yeah. They're so limited. We put such a, I think we limit them so much on what they're able, what they're exposed to and what they're able to experience. Mm-hmm. Um, that unfortunately they don't always know what they, what they could go on and do. So tell us what are some specific skills that you see addressed because you spend a lot of time at, at Maker's Edge, obviously, uh-huh. and in a makerspace setting. What are some specific skills that you see addressed in a makerspace atmosphere? Gosh, that's a tough question. So most people would probably move towards specific skill building, but I would say the skill that I see most is people learning the social side of thinking and doing. So Mm -hmm. collaboration and the ability to sort of submit yourself to someone else's experience and mentorship We don't really teach that in our culture anymore, the value of sitting below someone and learning from them. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that is definitely something we really strive to kind of accentuate around here. The idea that everybody is an expert and everybody is a learner, you just need to find what it is that other people need from you and what you need from them. And so that, that is a skill that we intentionally teach around here. We're constantly encouraging the average guy to teach a class for other people in the space. Mm, But we're also, when we do our youth camps in the summer, um, once we notice a skill that a a youth can do really well, like soldering, we then encourage them to go and, and participate as a kind of a a sub teacher, you know, a, a helper and teach other people at the table to do that, that thing that they have shown uh, experience in. And so uh, it just, it can, it funnels through all ages. Who doesn't like to show off what they can do well, but we often in culture, if you really think about it, we say, don't stand out, don't be extraordinary. Don't make other people feel bad that they can't do it. And mm-hmm. so we, we have subtly in small ways indicated to people that they shouldn't, necessarily move towards uh, standing out in a particular skill or gift. Oh, yeah. And I think that ties so much into bringing collaboration into the classroom, whether it's a makerspace setting or a classroom setting. You know, every student has something to give. And so I often will suggest to teachers, you know, it's a good idea to find that kid who Mm -hmm. it's really hard to find their strength. Maybe their strength (laughs) doesn't fit into the school box, but they have a strength. Absolutely. And when you figure out what that is, like letting that kid take the lead on that, whether it's technology or maybe it's something that the other students don't know anything about. But when you give those kids an opportunity to lead, sometimes that's when you see who they are, right? They didn't fit into the school box. And the great, yes, absolutely. And the greatest lesson I've learned in the last 20 years is that if I will just sit in the tension of quietness, Mm. because often what the kids where we're missing it and say, well, they don't really necessarily have that thing that they excel at and contribute. Really what's happened is We're in a culture that's so fast moving and constantly moves towards the one who speaks first or does first or acts that we we forget to wait for those who maybe have to ponder a little more and and be secure a little more or me, you know, who are uncomfortable with the space that they're in. And so we just forget and we kind of move on. And I have discovered that the more I just sit and wait, any, any camper here will tell you, I will not do it for them. I just won't. 
I will mm-hmm. show them 20 times before I do it for them. And I think, honestly, every makerspace is unique. Um, because anybody who starts a makerspace or a group that starts a makerspace is passionate about a certain thing. And that's why they've come together. And that's why you see makerspaces, really, they all look so different and just a huge gambit of different spaces. But I can speak to why we exist. Um, you know, that idea that we're all passionately moving towards sort of self-discovery. We all, in the end, deep inside of us, have a desire to find that thing that we were created for. But what we've learned now in our culture, we just don't have those opportunities anymore to really experience the touching, right? We talked about that earlier. But Mm -hmm. so we intentionally try to focus on that here in this space is giving uh, a, a great way to think about it is in our summer camps. We allow, if you took all of our camps, uh, every tool in the space would be touched by a kid at some point if they took all the camps. And that's really just a, a, a general paradigm of how do they know if they don't get to see or experience. And, yes. and we just don't, uh, we don't teach it in our culture anymore. And the thing that I really prize is just getting, I have discovered through, especially through chaplaincy, but when you're talking one-on-one with people, it it took me a long time to become comfortable with and discover the power of pausing and, um, and silence. And I use that philosophy all the time in the space, especially when working with kids. I have a strong hatred of people who, not, not the people, but of the act of jumping in and doing for another. There's Mm -hmm. so many kids out there who have never experienced the joy of being able to do for self and through the process of failing over and over, become good at something and have that sort of that personal joy of working through the process and coming out the other side uh, great at something. And I do think of, All those, you know, back 80 years ago, uh, grandpas and grandmas, you know, if you were a guy, you went to the garage and you worked with grandpa learning how to use tools. Or if you were a girl, you went to grandma's kitchen and you learned how to bake with grandma. And when I was a kid, I took 4-H and I did a lot of cooking classes. And I remember, I remember clearly the woman who taught those classes and how, I look back now at how patient she must have been with me. Because I did not remember a single time that she ever pulled that bowl out of my hands and said, no, you're not doing it right. Let me do it for you. Not, not one time. And I, I think of all the times that I messed up and the batches of whatever had to be thrown out or it was just completely inedible when we were done. And yet not one time did someone harp on me for that or did she ever say it was a bad batch or did she... She, she was not ever discouraging, nor did she ever do it for me. And what came out of that was not just the skill of cooking, right? But also what came out of that was the joy of cooking. Because mm-hmm. I learned through the st- struggle and failure that there was something very wonderful in the act of doing it and begin- getting better and thinking through the process. And then when I came out the si- other side, and I had the final product in hand, 
I got to have sort of that joy of sharing what I've learned. You know, in that case, it was giving away brownies. But here I see it every <laughs> summer with the kids, right, who work so hard through the week. And then they, and they're doing all these simple things that they think add up to nothing and don't do anything for them. And it's such a joke that everything is intentionally designed all through the week. These little bitty steps, these small skills that they don't even realize they're learning so that by day three or four, they're doing massive projects that they never on day one would have ever thought they could do. Like they're doing, we once did a uh, digital fabrication, a, uh, a uh, binary clock that has almost 300 points of soldering. Wow. Only one kid came to that class having ever soldered before. But by the end of the week, every kid went home with one of those clocks that they had soldered themselves and made themselves and if I had sat there and done it for them, when they took it home, kids are not stupid. We never give kids enough credit, but they're not stupid. <laughs> I agree. They would, I agree. They would take it home and show mom and say, well, here's what they did at camp. <laughs> but my kids got to take it home and say, mom, look what I did at camp. Mm -hmm. And I think that is such an important difference. And kids know that difference. And that's why uh, every summer we have lots of kids who come back. And I always think, oh, my word, they hated this last year. Why are they back? But because <laughs> some of them really are miserable in the middle of it because because they're so used to being really good at stuff or being cheered on for being excellent and competent and perfect. And but they get here and I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm just not going to tell you, you those things. But what I will tell you is I am great with failure and we're going to do it again. And I just try to keep that attitude the whole week. And by, I mean, I, that is for me, one of the greatest joys I get to have around here. I think that's huge. And I know that for me as an educator, there were so many times in my classroom where I just made the mistake of not allowing kids to sit in their struggle. Right. I would, right. Um, it was so uncomfortable really struggle with wait time. Yes, <laughs> I'm just yes. not great at it. Um, but I just really feel like um, as educators, it's important that we give them opportunities to sit in their struggle because we mm -hmm. do not do that enough. And we, in doing that, we are sending the message to them. Look, we don't think you're smart enough to figure this out or you're not figuring out fast enough for us. So we're just going to give you the answer or we're going to give right. you some guiding questions to get you to the correct answer. And I think we're sending a really, um, I think we can do some real damage there with our students when we don't allow them to struggle and experience yeah. failure. Yeah. And for me, the big change really, um, my growth came when I finally fundamentally grasped the concept that if I believe every person uh, has has something contrib to contribute, that we're all uniquely created and we all have um, a part to play in this grand story called life, mm -hmm. then I have, in that moment of silence, I'm also sitting silent, learning from them as they struggle through that process. So it's not just me stepping back and letting them struggle through it and learn something for themselves but I'm also joining in with them in that process. And there is, I, I mean, I can honestly say I approach every person now, every kid, every experience and, and try to ask myself, what is it that I can take away from this moment? And if it, 
And if it means we all sit here in silence for five minutes, then I'm willing to do it because I believe the thing that we're creating together is better than what either one of us can create in isolation. Oh, I love that. I love that. And I think for every type of learner, really, that's important because for a struggling learner, you're sending the message, you know what, I know you can figure this out. Mm -hmm. And when they do, um, that's powerful for them. Sometimes Mm -hmm. people just haven't given them the time that they need. Um, And because my background is with gifted learners, that is why that's one of my core beliefs is because I worked with so many gifted kids that had no idea what it was like to fail or had no idea what it was like to struggle. And so Mm -hmm. when they did struggle, that internal conversation told them you're not good enough or you're supposed to know this or what is wrong with you instead of understanding that failure is an opportunity to learn and grow. Um, And so I think any, no matter what type of learner they are, no matter who they are as a kid, that experience in and of itself is powerful enough, I believe, to make a priority Mm -hmm. in the classroom. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Okay. So my next question is, um, I want to talk a little bit about these skills. This isn't, this wasn't actually on the questions I sent you, but <laughs> so surprise. Uh, but the skills like collaboration and creativity, uh-huh. critical uh-huh. thinking, all of those things um, and communication and reflection are those, do you see those playing a big role in a maker space? I think it plays a big, I think it should, let me answer it that way. I think it should. If you are going out there and trying to create a maker space, if you don't intend, because it takes intentionality, right? All learning is intentional. So it, it takes the intentionality of someone like me thinking about cultivating those aspects so that other people can experience them. Even the design of this space, it's kind of like a wheel. All of, the, all of the shops are on the outside, but the fabrication and assembly area is in the middle. So regardless of what shop you come here to work in, you're gonna be out amongst everybody else at some point during your project. So people are gonna be mingling and talking to you while you mingle and talk, talk to them. And that was very intentional. It, uh, because we believe that is essential uh, for each person to collab- experience that process of collaboration and growth. And people naturally, I'm just going to, you know, a lot of our culture has really disconnected people and removed them from that process. And so even in school, we say, well, what are you interested in learning? And then we send you on that track. Mm-hmm. Well, I-, I just think that is, um, I you know, I love math. I probably would have said in uh, high school and college, math was my favorite subject of all time. And I could sit here and talk about math, the joys of math forever as my I kids would, could. <laughs> I would hang up on you if you don't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to. But what I'm I totally learned kidding. was um, that the joy the, that I, I had a lover of math, but I knew I didn't want to do it as a career. Mm-hmm. But I learned through the joy of math that I did love routine and process and problem solving. And I'm a big picture person. I want to know the whys of it, how it works and math proofs, which we don't even teach in school anymore. Mm. I am obsessed with uh, math proofing when I was in school. I just loved that part. 
And so when I got out of school, I knew I didn't want to be a mathematician ever, ever, ever. But, but it taught me a lot about how things work and how to use my mind to engage problem solving, stuff like that. And so I, I think there is something, even something as difficult, or I wouldn't even say difficult, as what can be boring as math, um, it, it, takes, uh, it takes open eyes to say, well, even if I don't like it, I still can take something I learned from it and apply it to my life. Yes. And so even though you come into this space and you think, I never want to touch a computer or use any of those CNC tools, I just want to be in the wood shop. Great. So come in the wood shop and put your hands all over those tools for a month or two. But if you're assembling out in the main area and all of these cool woodworking projects and you're just happy and content in your little space... But as your eyes start to get cast on other people and the things that they're doing, you're like, oh, well, I could do that. I'm pretty good at like uh, prototyping, putting things together. So I think I would be good at that, too. I mean, it's just there is a communal nature to learning. And um, so I guess back to the original question, those things are fundamental to a makerspace. Mm -hmm. But they don't happen on their own. Someone has to be thinking intentionally about how those, um, how community and, and uh, cultivating respect and taking turns. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> All of those things um, have to be intentionally thought through by someone to make it happen in the space. If they don't, what I've seen in some makerspaces is it deteriorates down to just a glorified garage mm -hmm. where people come and, and do their thing and leave. And eventually those spaces die. That's such a good point. And so much of what you're saying is so, um, it can be applied in the classroom as well. The same thing. If those things are not intentionally woven into what you do every day, Mm -hmm. um, that's what a classroom becomes. It just becomes a classroom where they just come in and they do what they're told and they go through the motions, exactly. but those things are never, um, addressed. And we can't assume that our students today know how to do those things because, um, oftentimes they don't, but if we weave them into what we're doing intentionally, I think that makes a big difference. Okay. So next question, if you were going to give a school district, because maker spaces are popping up in a lot of school uh -huh. districts, if you were going to uh -huh. give a school district <laughs> advice about first steps to creating a makerspace on their own campus or in their district, what would you suggest or advise? Okay. So my first piece of advice would be stop. <laughs> Just stop. <laughs> like um, take a breath and really do some critical thinking. Who's going to run the space? What are they passionate about? What is the purpose of the space in your educational environment? What is the thing missing from your students? We just uh, helped locally uh, a school district here start up a makerspace. And it was extremely difficult because the person who was running the makerspace was a math teacher, right? Mm. <laughs> so, <laughs> so their passion is in a certain area. And we right. started to explain to them, um, well, what is the point of your makerspace? And it was, um, well, for those people who are done with their homework to have a place to kind of go and, and mm. kill time. Well, okay, you're, that space is just going to fail. <laughs> right. because, because the passion behind it and the purpose behind it doesn't speak 
to your desire for the students that you want to expose to the space. Mm. And so we really asked them some critical questions. I think they got frustrated with the process. Um, But, you know, who's going to use the space? How old are they? Do you want them to work cooperatively or individually? Do you want it to be a required space or is it just a supplemental space if they earn the right to be there? Those kinds of questions. And really think critically about what you are wanting the purpose and the passion of this space to be and make it extremely well known, not just to the the teachers, but to the students. And so put it on the wall, put it out, you know, make t-shirts and, and, and this, uh, we encourage this teacher to put it on vinyls and put it around the room. And, and once, once we convey, (laughs) so I'll just do a little sidebar. People tell me all the time they get how passionate I am about this point. <laughs> but I love it. But I think um, that's exactly the point. Uh, that's exactly the purpose of the, of the person who is running the makerspace. My main purpose here is to communicate my passion and purpose for the space. Mm-hmm. If I don't have the clarity on that, people who come into the space will not have clarity on that. And I think that's especially important in schools because I'm working mostly with adults here, but in schools, these youth where they're just sort of wandering aimlessly from class to class, and maybe they don't really even understand what a purpose or a passion is Mm -hmm. cultivating that for them and helping my work, my key word in life is ignite igniting that in them so that they can be turned loose to do what they want to do. Oh, and, love it. and so that's my job. It's my goal. It's, it's my purpose. And um, I think in schools, especially because kids just don't, they don't have people speaking into their lives anymore for that. And our teachers are, I feel so bad for teachers, educators these days. They're so worn out. They're so underpaid. They're so over, uh, they have too many students in a class and there's, we're just asking them to do so much. And then on right. top of that, in these maker spaces, we're throwing people in um, because maybe their job, like the librarian is, uh, is at risk. So we stick them in charge of the maker space. Well, mm-hmm. if they're not passionate and they don't have a purpose, they're not going to be successful. And I hate setting people up for failure. I am mm-hmm. okay with failure but I hate setting people up for failure. I just think right. it's unfair to the students. It's unfair to the person in charge. It's just unfair to the system. And then what we've seen now for uh, makerspaces in schools is two or three years later, the tools are sitting unused and uh, wasted and worn out and unfixed. And no one really knows how to use them well uh, because they just didn't connect it to what they were passionate and what their purpose was. Yeah, that's a good point. I think that's the difference between a makerspace and a meaningful makerspace. I think a meaningful <laughs> makerspace yeah. does those things. And I also think that sometimes um, when we talk about makerspaces in education, like you were saying that that one school district had said, you know, it's for people who finish their work early, or oftentimes it's for the students who don't need intervention. They get to go learn in the makerspace. Uh-huh. When the reality is, a student who needs intervention, oftentimes a maker right. space is what they need in order exactly. to work, right? You exactly. doing it harder, faster, more isn't going to work. But if you give them a different experience <clears throat> and right. let them learn that standard through doing and getting their hands on something, right. sometimes that's enough to change everything for them. So I'll tell you what this one school district did to address that issue. So they intentionally 
put objects in the makerspace that complemented the classroom environment. And that oh. teacher now takes every class to the space once a week and they use the tools in the the classroom the, in the makerspace to teach the concepts of what they're learning in the classroom. That is awesome. And that's, you know, that's oftentimes what I, I think it would be great for every, the school districts that have a makerspace to as a campus or as a district, know the things that your students struggle with, like mm-hmm. know where your weaknesses mm-hmm. are and make those things a priority in a makerspace right. or with the Genius Hour projects or whatever it is that you do right. different. It's not that those things have to be separate from what you're teaching in the classroom. Right. It should be a way to just solidify or to give students an opportunity to apply their learning in a different way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So as we kind of wrap up, um, is there anything that we didn't discuss that you would like for the audience to know about makerspaces and the role that they play in learning? Oh, I do. So after uh, almost four years of now of giving tours to people who come to my space, uh, almost, almost singularly, the number one response they, uh, that I get is, gosh, I had no idea. People hear the term all the time and people think in their minds they know what it is. Oh, it's grandpa's mm-hmm. garage or it's, oh, it's a, a factory setting, whatever. They have a preconceived notion. You have to be inside a space to see really what it's all about. And I cannot tell you how many times I've heard I had no idea until I came and saw it with my own eyes. I thought it was one thing and it's nothing like what I was imagining. And so I encourage everybody really to go find one in your area and, and take a tour and just see with your own eyes. I, I think half of, um, <clears throat> half of our movement forward is just becoming aware of what we don't know. And Mm -hmm. so uh, I I think go experience it for yourself. You don't ever have to make a single thing. And most makerspaces have a dedicated day or two a week that they are open to tours and letting people come in. And so just find that and go look at them and uh, experience it for yourself. I love that. So tell us um, really quickly, how can people connect with you? So if they want to know more about Maker's Edge or they want to know more about makerspaces in generally, how, in general, how can they sure. connect with you? Well, you can find us several places. We always take, tell people to go to our website, uh, themakersedge.com. But uh, you can find us on Facebook. We're Makers Edge Makerspace or on Instagram or Twitter. We do a lot of Instagramming now because I hired a college student and she's way more trendy than I am. So we're just on it. <laughs> we're just Makers Edge on Instagram. But yeah, we have lots of different ways you can find us. But if you go to themakersedge.com, all of those links are there. You can find us in all kinds of places and, and see what we're about. And you can see a picture of me. We also have pictures of all of our staff on there. Very cool. And I will actually link some of this information on the podcast page. Great. But I just want to I just want to say thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. I cannot wait for my listeners to hear you share awesome. um, just the value of a makerspace and how we can take um, some of the things that you guys are doing and learn from that as we, you know, create experiences for today's learners in the classroom. Absolutely. Well, thank you for letting me come and talk to you today.
Oh my gosh, that was such a fun conversation. Hearing Melissa share about their makerspace and the things that they're experiencing, so much of that resonated with me as an educator and the things that we can take back and implement into our classrooms and things that we can think about as we're designing experiences for our students. If you want to know more information about Maker's Edge or you want to connect with Melissa, you can go to my website, andymcnair.com, click on podcast, find episode four, and you'll find all of the information there. If you're interested in connecting or learning more from me, I want to encourage you to follow me on Twitter at McNairAN3 or check out my website, andymcnair.com, for more opportunities to connect and learn. One specific opportunity that I want to share with you guys that we are launching right now is the Six Piece of Genius Hour online course. And if you visit my website, you'll find all of the information there. But this is an online course that I've created where, as an educator, you are going to be engaged, you're going to get to experience learning, and you're going to be empowered as you go through 40 modules of really diving deep into passion-based learning and what it can look like in your classroom. So if you want to know more, again, visit my website, andymcnair.com, and you can click on Learn with Andy and then the six P's of Genius Hour online course and everything you need to know is there. Thank you so much for joining me on this journey. If you enjoyed the podcast, please feel free to leave a review, subscribe, and share with your friends. Let's do whatever it takes to change education in a way that makes learning meaningful for today's students.